This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. So you want to make sure that you're eating whole foods. Trying to manage how much sugar you're eating or how much alcohol you're drinking because all of those can play a role and can actually exacerbate stress. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to discuss your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about the natural treatment of stress and sleep. We'll discuss healthy grilling. We'll hear how to find solace in solitude. And lastly, we'll consider proper hydration for exercise. But first, a little bit of business. Are you stressed out? Feel exhausted? Having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, and sleep better. Discover de-stress, chill pills, and sleep eight from New Roots Herbal. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. For more information, visit newrootsherbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Andrea Donsky is a registered holistic nutritionist with 20 years experience in natural health and wellness. She's the co-founder and editor-in-chief of NaturallySavvy.com and a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me again. It's been a while. Yeah. So, you know, we're at the stage of the COVID crisis now where I think, you know, people are still concerned, obviously, about contracting the disease and passing it along and et cetera, et cetera. But we're also sort of worried about the fallout effects of, you know, staying at home and, and just the stresses and everything that's going on. So why don't we chat about a few of the things that we can do to help relieve stress? like probably my favorite topic to talk about these days because we're all living it, breathing it, like you said, and experiencing it. So for me, one of the things that I'd have to say, because my anxiety was and my stress was out of control when this first hit as everybody else's. And one thing that I that kept coming up over and over again was to just breathe. And the reason I say that, and it sounds so trivial and, and we're like, what, just breathe? But the truth is, we just need to take a deep breath. And, that, and the reason why is because research shows that deep breathing helps to reduce stress levels in the body. Yeah. And I thought firsthand how, this, how incredible this works. So I had a test done where a practitioner measured my nervous system before and after doing deep breathing. And I did it for about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I literally saw how my nervous system went from a sympathetic state. That's the state that stimulates the fight or flight response, which most of us are operating on anyways on a regular basis when we're stressed. And it went to a parasympathetic state where I was more relaxed and calm. And it was so cool to see it right before my eyes that all I did, the only difference was taking in deep belly breaths. Yeah. You know, how shall I put this? I have road rage issues and I went for some help <laughs> with it. And the first thing they suggested was was deep breathing and, and sort of, you know, counting to 10 and doing all the rest of it. But, you know, truthfully, I can't say I'm an A student, but that stuff really does help. It does. And you know what I do to remind myself, because I tend to be, you know, type A personality, yeah. really busy working, doing things, you know, and what I do is I set a timer on my phone every hour on the hour. And then, by the way, there were a bunch of apps that you could do. I know yep. that um, I think it's the Fitbit that actually reminds you to breathe. So there are amazing technology out there that can help. But if, you know, like myself, I just, I have my phone every hour on the hour, I set my alarm and I'm like, I remember, oh, okay, 
deep breathing and I'll count in for four and then release and just do a few breaths because the more we, we remember it, then it becomes a habit and then you find and you're feeling that extra anxiety or you're feeling stress, you'll be like, oh, wait, wait, I'll just breathe. And it really does work. So anyways, that would be my number one advice and because it's free and it's really easy to do. Yeah. And along those lines, you know, I would say, you know, I'm not a meditator, but a lot of people swear by it. And I find exercise is a great stress relief and, and the release of endorphins after I'll do a workout really sort of changes my mood. That's for sure. Yeah. So exercise is great because it helps us to relax, but it also helps us to de-stress, right? Because yeah. it pumps up the endorphins in yeah. our bodies, which is the, our brain feel good neurotransmitter. And it also helps us sleep better, which is important too when it comes to stress, right? Because when we're stressed, a lot of times we don't sleep. So no, I'm a huge fan of exercise. Also, you know, things like laughing, right? So we know that research shows laughing reduces stress hormones and releases endorphins in our body. Yep. So putting on a funny movie, calling a friend who you find that's really funny, you know, watching cat videos, whatever makes you laugh, that's what we should be doing too, because it really helps us to automatically feel better. What about stuff that we, you know, that stuff we can do? What about food? Are there any foods that you think help with stress or sleep? Okay. So I love that you asked me this question. So being a nutritionist, yeah. I would say absolutely yes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> this is my area of uh, somewhat expertise. So food plays a huge role when it comes to stress. So you want to make sure that you're eating whole foods, trying to manage how much sugar you're, ha you're eating or how much alcohol you're drinking because all of those can play a role and, and can actually exacerbate stress. And certain foods also have sedative or relaxing effects. Like, so for example, chamomile tea. So this is a beverage. It's well known to help calm us. And the reason why is because it increases the amino acid glycine and glycine helps us to relax. Other foods, for example, you know, contain magnesium. So cashews, almonds, you know, having a handful of those before bed. Magnesium helps us to relax as well. It just kind of takes it down a notch right? It relaxes our muscles and they're great to eat before bed. And something that sounds really crazy, but romaine lettuce contains magnesium, but it also has a compound called lacticarium. And lacticarium is a mild sedative. It has mild sedative properties that help us to relax as well. So I know it sounds gross, but it actually does help to work. It does help. You boil four large lettuce leaves in water and then let it steep for about 15 minutes and then enjoy it with a hint of honey before going to bed. And that can just kind of, you know, just help us to relax. I'm okay with romaine lettuce like in salads. Like, what does it taste like when you're boiling it? It tastes like soggy lettuce, I guess. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> do you it spike? sounds crazy, but do there are some it? foods that actually do work, right? That yeah. can kind of help us to relax. Turkey, right? So yeah, you know, tryptophan like, for sure. about a Thanksgiving meal. Yeah. Turkey helps us to relax. That's because of the tryptophan. So there are so many different foods that can help. Sunflower seeds have tryptophan as well. Definitely some foods that can kind of just relax us, calm us. Okay, so now that we're talking about stuff we can ingest, why don't we chat a little bit about supplements that might help? Okay, so I'm a huge fan of supplements as well because I do feel that we need a little bit of an extra push sometimes when we're doing a little bit of extra help. So there are certain supplements that work really well when it comes to stress. So one of them being L-theanine. Have you ever heard of L-theanine? Yeah. Okay. So L-theanine, so when we're stressed, our body releases cortisol and cortisol is highest in the morning when we wake up, or at least it's supposed to be. But when we're stressed, our cortisol levels increase at other times of the day, like think 3 a.m., right? So if you're awake at 3 a.m. and you're staring and you're ready to go for your day, that's because cortisol is peaking at that time when it's not supposed to be doing it. So the cool thing about L-theanine is that it helps to balance cortisol levels and increases the alpha waves in our brain. That's like that calm, clear feeling we get when we're rested. So you can get L-theanine from food. For example, it, it exists naturally in green and matcha tea. 
mm-hmm. you have to drink a lot of it to get the amount you need. So taking a supplement, like an L-theanine supplement, is the best way to get it. And I take one every single day, and I'm a huge fan. Okay, and it's preventative, correct? Like, in other words, don't wait for it. This is something you can take all the time. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's preventative, but more so it just it's something that, yes, you could take it every day. It's not something you become addicted to or anything. Oh, okay. I take it before bed, and yep. I take about, you know, you can take anywhere from 50 to 250 milligrams of L-theanine. It's totally safe. I take about 100 to 150 milligrams before bed, and I find it helps me sleep really well. Okay. What else do you recommend? So adaptogenic herbs. We just did a video on this on uh, YouTube under the Naturally Savvy, and we talked about the benefits of adaptogenic herbs. So herbs like rhodiola, ashwagandha, holy basil, which is also Tulsi. So what's great about adaptogenic herbs is that it helps our bodies cope better with stress. And hello, we can all use that. (laughs) So it literally helps our body adapt to what it needs when we're So I'm a big fan of that. You can take it as a supplement form and you can get them individually or you can get them together in formulas, which is really great. The other thing I really love is omegas, so the omega-3s that have higher EPA. So there's research that shows that omega-3s, which are, you know, omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids, also known as PUFAs, which you might have heard the acronym, that may help to reduce anxiety. So one study found that people with anxiety disorders have lower levels of circulating omega-3 PUFAs, which... I thought to be really interesting. So I love a good quality fish oil. So you want to look for one that contains both EPA and DHA. Mm-hmm. And what's nice about fish oil is that it's also anti-inflammatory, yes. right? So you yeah. want to look at that ratio of EPA to DHA to be about 10 to 1. Okay. And for those who don't know, what is EPA? So EPA, oh gosh, it's a very long, I, pento, I, I definitely can't pronounce it. Okay. Both DHA and EPA. Okay. <laughs> Vxo, hepco, I mean, it's a whole word, but those are what exist in omega-3. Okay. Yeah, the, the active ingredients. And are are there any other sort of supplements you would recommend or or dosages or? Yeah. So for example, so GABA, Mm -hmm. GABA helps with anxiety and stress. So it helps to relax us and helps us with sleep. And studies show that passion flower can help to relieve anxiety. So passion flower boosts GABA levels in the brain, which is pretty cool, which GABA, again, lowers brain activity, which can help us relax and sleep better. And then one mineral that I'm a huge fan of, which about 70 to 80% of us are actually deficient in is magnesium. So I don't know, Jamie, do you take magnesium? No, but every other member of my family does. And I should because I exercise a lot and it's great for recovery. Amazing for recovery. But the reason why magnesium is so important is because it's crucial for hundreds of functions in the body. And it's known as the calming mineral. So it helps us to relax. So when we're stressed, we deplete magnesium from our body. And when it's depleted of magnesium, we're more stressed. So it's kind of this vicious circle that goes on. And people who have low magnesium levels often have sleep issues as well. So this is a non-negotiable for me. Like every single day I take my magnesium. You can even tell if you're depleted in magnesium because for me, my eye starts to twitch, right? Because when it becomes low, like you said, it helps with recovery. It's great for muscles. For my body, I can tell like my eyelids are are twitching a little bit. I Mm -hmm. have my magnesium dosage and it works to help kind of like balance everything. So listen to your body. You could tell if you are depleted in magnesium or you can can go to your doctor and ask to get a blood test. So the thing about magnesium is it's really easy to take and you can take it in a supplement form or you can even do it in a powder. Every night I take New Roots Herbal has this delicious tasting lemon powder Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it tastes so good. And I literally just put it into my glass and you want to aim for about 300, like for women, 310 to 
320 milligrams a day, and for men, about 400 to 420 milligrams. So I highly recommend it, Jamie. Yep. Take it. It's great. Your family knows what they're doing. Like, it's great to take. The only drawback I heard about it is that sometimes, I think, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm confusing with something else, but can it constipate? You? No, so magnesium actually will do the opposite. Okay. So magnesium can help, well, depending on the type of magnesium that you're taking, I like to take magnesium disglycinate because, again, it has glycine. It has that amino acid glycine in it, which yeah. helps to relax us, right? So it's an extra benefit of, of relaxing us. But there are other forms. I've heard that magnesium citrate might make your stools a little bit loose. But again, listen to your body because if you take too much magnesium and you're fine, you're getting too loose of the stool, just pare down. Just go down a little bit. So yeah. you can actually help to prevent that by just managing the dose. Okay, so we've touched upon it a bit, but let's talk about the, the co-relationship between stress and sleep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, when we're stressed, many of us have trouble sleeping. And when we have trouble sleeping, we actually become more stressed. So again, another one of those vicious circles. Now, let's go back to the adrenals for a second and the cortisol. So yeah. when we're stressed, it really has a major effect on our adrenal glands, right? Because it's constantly pumping out their, our stress hormones. So we really want our cortisol levels to be highest in the morning. But if it's becoming highest at 3 a.m. and waking you up at 3 a.m. and you're sitting there and you're ready to start your day, we really have to pay attention to our stress levels and our adrenals. And just, again, going back to the deep breathing, going back to taking the supplements that really help with stress, like those adaptogenic herbs are really crucial. So I'd say really important to create a sleep routine. Yep. And this is something that's really hard to do. And I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm the best at it because I'm not. And especially when self-quarantine hit and we're, our whole schedules, everything's kind of like upside down from what it used to be and our schedules are off. But if you can create some type of sleep routine or sleep hygiene, it's really important. Right. I mean, you know, we've covered this before on the show, but there's some simple things that you can do. I mean, just creating complete darkness is one thing. Creating a cooler temperature. You know, most people think that the ideal temperature to sleep at is in the 70s, but it's actually no, it's 68 degrees, 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. And we're aging yep. ourselves by doing Fahrenheit. But and the other crucial one is turn off those devices like an hour before. Nobody's going to do it. You're either going to watch TV and turn out the lights or you're going to be on your phone and turn out the lights or your iPad or whatever. But if you can avoid it, you'll find that you'll get to sleep much faster. Right. And the reason why you want to turn off those devices an hour before is that they, because they emit blue light and white light, right? Yeah. And those blue, white, and white lights actually meant to keep us awake. And it makes us harder to fall asleep. So one thing you could do is you could buy yourself some blue blocking glasses. And you can put those on, you know, around 8 o'clock at night and wear them until you fall asleep. And the reason why we don't want to be kept awake is because it prevents our body from releasing melatonin, which is that calming sleep hormone that helps us fall asleep. So really important and really easy to do. And they're not very expensive at all. I bought a pair for myself and my daughter because now that we're in self-isolation and summer's here, Mm -hmm. finally. We're actually watching, you know, movies a little bit later. So we'll put on our blue blocking glasses and basically it helps us. We don't have trouble falling asleep after because I did notice, by the way, when I wasn't wearing them that I'd literally be lying asleep, lying there and have so many issues falling asleep because of that blue light. So a very important point. Okay, so if the hygiene isn't working and, and, you know, we need a little help getting to sleep, is there anything that we can take that would help? You're talking about in terms of like a supplement kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, like natural. I mean, there's lots of things you can, you know, your doctor will prescribe sleeping pills. I'm not an advocate of that, but, you know, is there supplements that can help? Yeah, absolutely. So there are different supplements that we can take. So there is something called Sleep Aid by New Roots Herbal. So they have the eight ingredients. 
yeah. that basically help you sleep better. And they mix a lot of the ingredients we just talked about. So they have the adaptogenic herbs. They have, you know, they have hops. They have, like, you know, all the different things, the chamomile that kind of help to relax us and calm us before bed. And what I love about it is that it actually, they're not, you can't become dependent on it. They're not addictive and they're completely, they're, they're definitely natural. So I love that. And then little things as well. And again, you can take the magnesium, which I'm a big fan of as well. And if you need a little bit of extra help, you can take, you know, GABA on its own. You could take, you know, L-theanine on its own, which in your tubs as well. So there are individual ingredients or you can take it, you know, kind of one product like Sleep 8 that has a whole bunch of different things that are mixed together. So I like products like that because then you're not doing so many individuals as opposed to taking one that kind of has a combination of everything. Right. But I do want to go back to a couple more sleep routine things just really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Like, sure. for example, you know, don't drink alcohol too close to bed because alcohol might help you fall asleep better but it actually will wake you up in the middle of the night and it suppresses REM sleep. So yep. again, really important. Don't drink caffeine too close to going to bed if you find that it keeps you awake. Like simple things like that, right? Like don't eat a heavy meal too close to when you're going to bed. Give yourself at least three to four hours but you know, from eating a heavy meal the time you're actually going to bed. You can have a little snack, but anything that's too heavy, well, I know for me, I'm tossing and turning all night because my body's trying to digest that food. So really try to do that. And then you mentioned exercise. For some people, exercise actually will stimulate you too much before bed, right? You're too sensitive to the, you might be sensitive to the adrenaline rush. Yeah. So if you have to exercise at night, do something a little bit more calming like yoga, right? So do something that you're not like really getting too pumped up over. So that can help you as well. I would think little things like that are like putting essential oils on your pillow, right? Or inhaling lavender oil or putting some Epsom salts in your bath with some lavender essential oil. Like there are so many things that we could do that can just kind of relax us before we go to bed so that we could sleep better. And when we sleep better, it'll help us be less stressed the next day. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie, for having me again. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to discuss healthy grilling on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Alamax Canada is the company that delivers real, bioactive, stabilized allicin. Using only the freshest garlic from Spain, Alamax is the trusted source for a high-quality and effective allicin supplement. The manufacturers of Alamax have dedicated their time to researching this fascinating plant and all of its antimicrobial and antibacterial benefits. To fight infection and stay well, take Alamax. For more information, visit alamax.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Shauna Lindzen, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. You can find her list of nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalinzen.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. How are you? Good. So this time of year, I am primarily responsible for dinner because I am the grill master at my house. 
and you're spending a lot of time outside. True. Technically correct. My son actually worked at a South Street Burger, so he can grill too. Really? Yeah. He's got some skills. But I'm the man, and we're going to talk about grilling today, yeah? Yes, I'm excited. People just think, you know, you just turn on the barbecue, you throw on some meat, and you're off to the races. But there's some subtleties there, right? I agree. And there, there are actually different techniques that you can use yep. on the grill. Yep. So if, if you think about it, it's similar to an oven, but quite different. So there are three different techniques that you can use when you're grilling food. Mm-hmm. And the first one's direct heat, right? Yep. So that means, let's say with a steak, putting the steak right down on the flame, searing it, and it's hitting the direct heat. The second technique is indirect heat. So what you would do is you would light the right-hand side of the grill, the left-hand side of the grill, and you would keep the middle not lit. And that's actually cooking the food indirectly. So it's for longer, slower, bigger pieces of meat. Yes. Like a a large chicken or a turkey or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it almost acts like a convection oven in that regard. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, if you can handle yourself and not muck about and keep opening it, it is a de facto oven. Yes, exactly. And the more you open it, the more you release the heat. Yeah. So you have to be patient. That's what I said. If you can, exactly. if, if you can handle yourself and not open it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm not so good at. I don't know about you. Then there's the combo. So I like the combo method because what you do is you sear it yep. and then you put it into the indirect heat. So you're Correct. getting both of best of the worlds there. So you have the sear and then you cook it through and it keeps things juicy inside. I've got one more for you. What? Smoker. You can buy a a cheap little smoker box and you can use any barbecue that has a lid as a de facto smoker. Do you have a smoker? I don't have a set aside smoker, but I use my grill as a smoker and it works perfectly. And what do you usually smoke? I've smoked whole chickens, turkey breast, fish. I've smoked vegetables. Jesus. Beautiful. Yeah, no, there's a lot you can do. It's just very labor intensive. Exactly. And there are right now with the pandemic and, you know, restaurants are closed. There are a lot of personal chefs that have smoking boxes or big smokers in their backyard. And they're actually selling the smoked meat. And you you can research that and find out who's selling the smoked meat, which is cool because you're right. It takes a really long time, like three or four hours. Yeah. Three hours for a chicken. Is that how long? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what about before we get on the grill? What do we need to think about? Okay, marinades, for instance. So if you marinate the meat, or let's say you're a vegetarian or a vegan and you're marinating vegetables, Mm -hmm. this will soften the food. And if it is an animal source of protein, it will break down the protein and make it more tender. And it also introduces extra moisture to it. And there's actually health benefits to this, pre-marinating your food and then putting it on the grill. And the reason is it will actually produce less of the harmful chemicals like the carcinogenic heterocyclic amines, the HCAs. And there's even research that if you marinate using rosemary, Mm -hmm. it may also increase the anti-cancer potential from the oils in the rosemary. I would add this though. You know, everybody thinks you can marinate all sorts of different meats. You really only want to marinate the ones that are tough to start with, like a flank steak. Like a flank steak, yeah. yeah. I agree. And it's true. Like, you don't really need to marinate, like, something like a New York strip or a ribeye because yeah. the fat will give you a lot of flavor. Yeah. So you just want to salt and pepper it. And there's also controversy in terms of, do I salt before? Do I salt after? Is it going to toughen? And I think every chef has a different opinion on that. For me, it depends what you're talking about. So, for example, you're talking about marinades. I don't marinate as much as I dry rub or I brine. 
And yes. brining involves a solution of salt and sugar water. So I get the salt into poultry, for example, that way. So if I were going to smoke chickens, I would brine them overnight first and then put them on the grill and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And I think most foodies would agree with that. Like brining is a great way to get the flavor, the moisture and a good texture into it. Like once it's cooked. Yeah. So other than dealing with the carcinogens, are there any benefits between grilling and perhaps slow cooking or baking the meats? Yeah. So if you think about grilling versus baking, grilling, if you're grilling on a barbecue and you're grilling on the direct heat, Mm -hmm. the fat will drip down into the barbecue and it will produce flames. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And those flames also can have some carcinogens because it will burn the meat more. Right. Right. There's oil vapors from the fat that get into the air, which further reinforce the burning of the flesh that is is touching the grill. Not so good. But it's interesting because when the fat drips down, it's beneficial to get rid of some of that saturated fat. But also, as you said, you're getting the carcinogens into the air and into the food. So that's actually a bit of a downside with the grilling, whereas baking, it's easier to control the heat, right? And the lower the heat, the less change in the food. So have you heard of, you know, doing almonds? Let's say if you're roasting an almond in the oven, you're doing it on a very low temperature, let's say like 250 or 300. You're not changing the chemical properties, specifically the protein, the fat, and some of the nutrients as much as if you're like flashing it onto direct heat. You know, the sad dichotomy is what tastes better. So the, the fat and the char marks are the stuff that's less healthy for you. Right. So you got a hard one. And yeah, you kind of have to balance it. Yeah. I know it's annoying. And studies show that it's actually more when you talk about meat versus vegetables. So if you char a red pepper or a portobello mushroom or onion on the grill, you're not getting the same heterocyclic amines, the carcinogenic chemicals, as if you do meat. Right. So what you could do is grill your vegetables to get that char, the beauty of the char marks and the and the barbecue flavor that you're looking for, but then slow cook your meats. Or sometimes what I do if I'm slow cooking, so for example, when I'm smoking, sometimes I can cook the chickens the same way on the same low heat. What happens is the skin gets rubbery, particularly if you brined it. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would char it at the end just to crisp up the skin. So you're not necessarily looking for the black marks. What you're trying to do is change the texture of the flesh that is actually touching the grill. Which is exactly the combo technique of direct and indirect. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, if you've never done it before, it's a bit tricky and and everybody's grill is different. So I have a gas grill. Mm-hmm. So I can modulate the temperatures pretty exactly. And, you, and you know, you have to really pay attention to how quickly your grill's heating up and where the residual heat is going. And everybody's different. It would be much harder on a charcoal grill, for example. I think that there's a lot of technique involved in grilling. And even for someone like me or you, like we cook all the time. We think about technique all the time. Yeah. I actually bought some Miami ribs a few weeks ago, and I just burnt the heck out of them by accident because I literally put them on. I, by mistake, closed the lid, and that just fueled the fire, (laughs) which it just went crazy. And literally three minutes later, because I actually had it time for three minutes, they were black. When I make my mistakes, and everybody makes them, I make my mistakes with marinades because they tend to have sugar in them. And yes. you're not thinking about it. It isn't not necessarily you're making a sweet sauce on something, but anytime you're putting 
any kind of sugar on a meat and then you're popping it on the grill, you're you're asking for char. You're asking for burn. Black, yeah. To blacken it. I agree. What you want to do is you want to char it very quickly and then do the combo cooking. Put it on the indirect heat. Or I would say keep the barbecue lid off. Like keep it up, not down. I have another solution and that is do a brine or do a rub first. Yeah. And then if you want to get that sort of, if you like your barbecue saucy, if you like your grill saucy, put the sauce on at the end at so, the th- end. so that Magic. it doesn't burn. Yeah. Magic. And the other thing is nutritionally, if you use dried herbs versus fresh herbs, the dried herbs actually don't produce as much flame as the fresh herbs. Because yes. if you put lots of rosemary, it's going to burn. So to reduce the carcinogens, to reduce the flame, yep. use dried herbs on your rub rather than the fresh herbs. Right. And, you know, let's talk about vegetables for a second. I don't like to pre-marinate vegetables. I think it cooks much cleaner and much more simply if you just kind of put a little bit of olive oil salt and pepper when they're on and then if you want to flavor them while they're warm they will take in whatever flavoring agent you want so for example so with a pepper for example i will just put them on the grill salt and pepper a little bit of oil but then once they're done if you want to put them in with some balsamic vinegar some chili pepper and some rosemary with oil that's when they're really going to take on those flavors it almost yeah sticks to it more and fresh corn i know people like to grill corn with the husk on yeah I actually take everything off. I don't oil it. I dry it, like with a paper towel, put it directly on the grill for, let's say, about 10 to 15 minutes, and the oil in the corn chars beautifully, and it becomes like a deep brown, not really a black, like it doesn't burn. It just caramelizes. Gets a little chewy. It's good. Yeah, like delicious. And lately, when I've been buying the corn, which isn't in season in Ontario yet, I actually, we haven't put butter or even salt on it. It tastes so good. You could go Mexican style and put a little cojito cheese on. Oh, delicious. Mexican street corn, yeah. A little bit of lime, you know. Lime, a little bit of spice. Yeah. Delicious. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. That was great, Jamie. And enjoy your backyard. Enjoy grilling and your herb garden and just everything. The barbecue is great. You as well. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Center is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8300 square foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. 
Tracy Sagrati has 20 years of clinical experience with formal education in molecular biology, nursing, critical care nursing, advanced life support, anatomy, pathophysiology, parenting, child development, health education, perinatal care, Swedish massage, and Thai and yoga massage. She's also a mindfulness expert. Her free meditation recordings can be found on the Insight Timer app. And you can follow her at Tracy Sagrati on Instagram and Twitter and Sagrati Yoga on Facebook. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm so great, Jamie, and I'm so excited about this topic. It's near and dear to my heart. Me as well, because you know I'm an omnivert. (laughs) It's a real thing. There are extroverts and there are introverts. And then there are omniverts. Yeah. So everybody thinks I'm an extrovert who doesn't really know me well because, you know, I do radio and I do shows yeah, and I'm I a never publisher. Would have said that, but yeah. in a million years, they wouldn't figure that I have to go and hide and be by myself. Mm-hmm. And that's how I gain my energy. But my alone time is really, really, really important to me. And it is yeah. for a lot of other people too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to say two things. There's a whole reason why I chose this topic. Yeah. Okay. So the first reason is obviously COVID, you know, the, yeah. the inflation for solitude for many people, but I also wanted to point out the fact that there is a healthy way to be in solitude and there's an unhealthy way. Okay. Let me just start by characterizing the unhealthy way, because this is something that I hear a lot, and it's kind of the opposite of what you just said. So you just said, okay, I'm an omnivert. I can be on the radio. Like, you're just this dynamic, charismatic guy. However, you also need to go into solitude in order to reboot, essentially. So that's pretty healthy. There are a lot of people, and I'm just thinking of, you know, my client population over like 20 years. There are a lot of people who are like, okay, I have to be alone. I can't be around people at all because they get so triggered when they're around other people and they feel that solitude is healthy for them because they're not triggered. Right. Because they're creating their own little bubble so that they don't have to deal with what may be extraneous and causing them to internalize. Exactly. Okay. So I wanted to first unpack that because that is actually not healthy at all. Right. And that is a sign that there's decreased cognitive flexibility, right? Because in order to be in different environments and different social settings, we have to be a little cognitively flexible, right? Mm -hmm. Responding to body language, social cues, et cetera. And when we don't have that cognitive flexibility, it's often coupled with really high anxiety, which causes the mind to just run off its tracks. And so then there's a tendency to need to be alone. And it's kind of like a bypassing that happens, you know, where we bypass actually dealing with our stuff by being alone. And that's not the kind of solace and solitude that I'm talking about today. But also, you know, then there's the other problem where sometimes when people are alone, their mind races, you know, like they can't occupy, they can't be by themselves. And so they revert to an internal monologue, which is not entirely helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, this is so interesting. I love that you brought that up because there was this study that happened between, it was was University of Virginia and Harvard. And they did this study where they gave people an option. You could either be alone in a room with your thoughts, okay, so you couldn't have your phone or anything else, no, no other distraction, or you could give yourself an electric shock, okay? <laughs> yeah. It sounds ridiculous, yeah. okay? So prior to actually going alone in the room, everybody got to experience the electric shock. So they knew what it was like. So they knew okay? it was coming. Yeah. They, they knew how bad it was. They said the common response to the electric shock is, I would rather pay money than to have to have that electric shock again. Okay, but here's the crazy thing. Here's the results. A quarter of the women 
and two-thirds of the men chose to give themselves the electric shock rather than be alone with their thoughts, even after they had experienced it. Wow. So that's mind-blowing, right? And yeah. <laughs> the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is it so hard for us to be alone with our thoughts? And, you know, part of it is because, well, first of all, if we've got a tendency towards being externalized, and what that means is if we let other people shape our thoughts to control the direction of the stories that we're telling ourselves about ourselves, if we are constantly being a chameleon and trying to be what the other person wants us to be, right, Mm -hmm. then suddenly when we're alone with ourselves, there's this vacuum where we don't know who we are. Right. How can you be yourself when you feel that people don't want you to be yourself? Exactly. Exactly. So that's one reason why it's hard for us to be alone. And then the second piece, and this is exactly what you brought up, is the narratives, the narratives that we've got going on in our heads. If we've got a narrative that is extremely negative and we're sort of cognitively fused with that narrative. And what it means when I say cognitively fused, it means you're having a thought, but you're so fused with the thought that you think it's actually true, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, think of the times when you're alone and you suddenly have this visual story board happening in your mind about something that hasn't even happened. And your whole physical body is having this visceral reaction to an imagined conversation or an imagined painful event. And so these are the narratives that we're talking about. So when that's going on, that's just called cognitive fusion. And it means you're stuck in a story that isn't real, but your body believes it is real. And so if we don't have any training around how to navigate our minds, right, and to actually not do that, then it can be very difficult to be in solitude. Okay, so we've discussed why solitude can be a challenge for people. I think we should also explain why solitude can be a good thing, because yeah. it can be, right? Why, why it can be a solace. Yeah. I think, oh, you know, my personal belief is that if we can, first of all, ourselves get comfortable in solitude and then actually teach our children how to be in solitude, I think that it can be one of the most empowering, creative, spiritually uplifting practices that anybody can have. I agree. 100%. I agree. Okay, so the reasons why it's good, the first, just in a general way, is just decompression. Right. Okay, so when you're with other people, there is a constant low grade to high grade, depending on your, you know, on your constitution, pressure to talk, to conform, to compromise, to make decisions. And so when you take that time to be alone, you can kind of decompress from the daily pressure of our lives. And so when you reflect on COVID, in many ways, because you don't have an option, you can't go to work, you know, you couldn't see friends. You couldn't do all of the things that you had to make a decision about before. So in essence, that would actually help to decompress you. And there's some some studies that have shown that teenagers are actually less self-conscious when they're alone. So it's a real way to decompress. You know, the next piece is about reflection and reevaluation. You can't see the forest for the trees unless you step back and look, right? And time alone allows you to write. You can journal. You can reflect on your relationships. But especially those relationships that are kind of filler relationships, you know, people you're spending time with just because so that you don't have to be alone, or even toxic relationships, right? If you're just automatically engaging in those relationships without stepping back and going, okay, is this actually mutually beneficial? Are we uplifting ourselves? Or am I walking away from this feeling like crap? Yeah. Then you can't actually make the decision about how to spend your time, you know, productively. 
Yep. That distance allows you to see things clearly. You know, the next piece is that you get to know yourself. And the more that you get to know yourself, the more you can engage with others in a way that's really intimate and authentic. You know, it's it's so easy. When, when someone has that personality where they're constantly trying to please everyone else in their environment, it comes across as inauthentic. And it's exhausting. Of course. It's exhausting. It it taxes all of your reserves, right? And eventually, over time, once you get into your 50s and 60s, that kind of behavior, I mean, that's why people come and see me at that point, right? It's because they've had that behavior for so long that they're mentally exhausted. And so when you take the time to get to know yourself, you then know who you want to interact with, what kinds of conversations you want to have. You know, what your window of tolerance is, how long you can be social before you need to actually take a break and decompress, which is what you were talking about earlier. 100%. You also build the capacity to actually be with yourself. You know, a mindfulness practice, the essence of a mindfulness practice is to be with yourself, with compassion, with curiosity, and to learn to accept what's happening in your mind without having an emotional reaction to it. And in that way, you're not kind of shocking yourself anymore, right? To try and get away from it. You know, and then on top of that, there's so many studies that are now showing that if you take time alone, just a little bit, even 10 minutes a day, and just allow your brain to wander, it improves both your creativity and your productivity. Uh, 99% of the ideas that I come up with that I'm able to execute on or when I'm on my own sort of pondering. But I, you know, I tend to live inside my brain or, you know, like, I mean, I'm one of those people. I'm inward thinking as opposed to outward thinking, which again Mm -hmm. is shocking for most people that just meet me. But there's a lot of thought work that goes on before the show comes on, you know, or I I think for me, it allows me to do this. It allows me to go on the radio is the time that I have on my own so that I can think about it. Yeah. Yeah. It provides the whole foundation for you to be able to do the work that you're doing. Okay. So how would you explain to somebody how they can use that alone time productively? Okay, so the first thing is you have to choose it. The research has shown you have to organize your mindset around the fact that you are choosing to take time alone so that you can actually grow yourself. And this means no screens, no social media, and start with 10 minutes a day to begin. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second thing is you have to be able to emotionally regulate. And there's this feedback cycle between your emotional regulation, so just knowing what you feel, being able to name it without behaviorally acting it out, and self-monitoring. So self-monitoring is just your ability to kind of watch your thoughts. So in those 10 minutes that you choose a day, you sit and you just watch your thoughts and you let them wander, but there's this emotional distance. You're just practicing noticing what's going through your head. And then when you complete your time alone, the next step, and this is all evidence-based, is you have to be able to engage positively in social groups outside that solitude. And that kind of brings us full circle to what I was talking about in the beginning. Because if you can't do that, the solitude isn't actually supporting you. Right. right? Yeah. It's not actually supporting you. So it's those three things. Choose to do it every day. Little tiny chunks of time. Watch your thoughts. Notice them. Be curious. Right? And then go back into your social circles, your social situations, your productive life, and actually reflect on how you're behaving after you've had that solitude. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was super interesting. Always a pleasure, Jamie. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. 
They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. For ultra amazing rest, you want the ultramatic adjustable bed. But I'm just an announcer with a really cool voice. Let's hear from ultra happy customers. Robert from Hamilton says. Shirley from Sealy's Bay says. Ultramatic's lumbar booster technology can reduce back pain and improve quality of sleep. Learn more at ultramatic.ca, then try it in Ontario's safest mattress store at Lawrence and Bathurst. Ultramatic, elevate your life. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's made several appearances as a fitness expert on City Line, Canada AM, Global Television Network, City TV, WTN, and is frequently quoted as a fitness expert in Shadowing, Glow Magazine, More Magazine, Zoomer, and the Toronto Star. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. I'm happy that summer is here, and yep. yeah, I'm just enjoying being able to be outside. School's almost done, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, and you know, everybody's outside more, and we're walking, and like, I'm walking with my dog, and my dog is like panting, Yes. and I see lunatics, you know, who are clearly running long distance in the, like, the hottest part of the day. The heat of the day. And you know, when I used to run, my cutoff was 24 degrees. If it was hotter than 24 degrees, I knew I was going to do damage to my body that I, like it would take days to recover from. Yeah. But people are out there running, and I'm hoping they're hydrating, yeah? It's so, so important, and you're absolutely right. And I think what's happening now because of this pandemic is that more people are doing more outdoor activity, which is great, except for the fact that sometimes, you know, they haven't done it before, and they haven't experienced, like what you said, is that when it gets too hot and you get too dehydrated, it can sometimes take you days to recover from that. So it's super important to understand why you get hydrated and how to do it. Right. And, you know, the thing is, it can sneak up on you. By the time you feel thirsty, it's actually mm-hmm. too late to deal with it. You're already putting your body under stress. And just because you're not sweating doesn't mean that you're not losing water from your system because we lose most of it through our breath. Yeah, that's exactly correct. And That is the really tricky part with this, is that our thirst mechanisms are generally too late. And the older we get, the worse that situation gets. So it really is important to be proactive and understand why we need to hydrate and how to hydrate properly. Okay, so let's get into that then. So from your perspective, you know, when is the best time to hydrate? You want to start at least two hours before your activity. So what I do at home is I know for a fact that we wake up dehydrated. So Mm -hmm. we're generally sweating a bit as we sleep. And you've also gone, you know, hopefully about eight hours without taking in any fluid. So my goal is always first thing in the morning, try to get hydrated. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about exercise, you want to drink about 500 milliliters of ideally water about two hours before your workout. And the reason for that is it allows you to go to the bathroom and kind of get rid of the excess. 
And then right before you go out to exercise, you want to drink between kind of like 125 to 250 milliliters, depending on how big you are and how much you sweat. Mm-hmm. So you want to do that right before you step out to do your activity. And that technique should ensure that you're adequately hydrated. Okay. And what about during an exercise? So for example, if you're going to do like a 10K run or something mm-hmm. that's going to take you about an hour or so, it's important to hydrate while you're doing it, right? It definitely is. The general guidelines talk about at least kind of 125 milliliters every 10 to 20 minutes, depending on how hot it is. And then also keeping in mind that your thirst mechanism is not an accurate reflection of when you need to drink water. So this is very important for coaches to understand. This is very important for you to understand with children because when they're in games and things like that, and we're no different, it's that you get distracted and you forget to drink water. And it's so crucial. There are so many negative effects on your body if you are doing your activity dehydrated. You know, the most important thing is, first of all, your performance is lacking if you are dehydrated. So just overall, you're going to perform worse. Your muscles can't contract as well. You don't have the strength. Your cortisol levels are up. You don't have enough testosterone in many cases. So this even applies for weightlifting. When you want to have, you know, a higher level of testosterone to get those effects from your weight workout, if you are dehydrated, your cortisol will go up and it will bring that testosterone level down. So even for things where you don't think you might be sweating as much, you want to go through that system of making sure you're hydrated prior to doing your activity. What about after the activities? Does it make a difference as to whether you hydrate after? It really does. And again, that comes down to how fast you recover. from your activity. And and also sometimes like if you're doing something where you're trying to improve your performance, which most of us are, the impact that the activity has, if you're dehydrated, that positive impact will be lower. A really interesting technique that you can use, especially these days when, you know, we're mostly kind of leaving home, going to do activity and coming back, is jump on a scale before you do your activity. And then as soon as you get back home, jump on the scale and see how much weight you've lost. And generally, that weight will be due to sweat loss and moisture loss. And then you have an idea of, you know, how much you want to replenish. Now, the goal when you finish your activity is not to replenish all of your water in the first hour, right? You know, you want to drink some water. Again, a good guideline is around, say, 500 milliliters. And then just make sure during the rest of the day that you are doing a little bit more just to catch up on it period of time where you were sweating a lot. Okay. Are you a a cold water girl or a room temperature girl? (laughs) I prefer more room temperature. How about you? I'm cold. Yeah. I think you're an odd duck. I don't (laughs) understand the room temperature. What's the logic in that? I use it to cool down too. Yeah. There's absolutely no logic in it. I just, I don't know. I've always preferred that. I think it's because my teeth, I think the cold water, water bothers my teeth. So I tend to, I can drink more if it's a little bit uh, not so cold. I find cold sometimes I struggle to get more of the water in. <laughs> but um, you're right about the temperature cool down. And then the other thing too, if you're outside and you're really hot yeah. 
and you're drinking a lot, like feel free to dump water on your head because there is an aspect of it that you need to stay cool. Overheating is a serious problem. It can lead to things like heat stroke, which is really a massive problem, and we want to avoid that. So there's nothing wrong with, you know, drinking half the cup of water and dumping half of it on your head on a day where it's hot and you're feeling hot or even, you know, on your clothes just to keep yourself cool. And if you don't have a lot of water, what I would do is focus the pouring the water on the back of your neck mm-hmm. because you can, I love act- that idea. you can actually trick your body into believing it's cooler. That is actually where a lot of the heat sensors are. Strangely enough. I learned yes. that when I was running longer distances that, yes. you know, that's the thing to do. So what are your thoughts? Okay. We've been talking about water. I know uh, the milk board was pushing post workout chocolate milk, you know, and, and they're all kinds of sports drinks. Of course they were. <laughs> of, course they, yeah, of course they were. I would probably double over and throw up, but what are your thoughts on the sports drinks? Okay. Good question. I do think that after hard workout, and if you are a person who sweats a lot, I really do think that you will feel better if you do some electrolyte replacement. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a fan of any sports drink, chocolate milk, anything like that that has sugar in it. So I just think that you're kind of defeating the whole purpose of what you're trying to do if you finish your sport and you drink something that has a bunch of sugar in it. The sugar and the dyes, lots of them are colored. Those are absolutely no benefit to you, and we know that the sugar causes inflammation and the dyes have, you know, all these other negative effects. So I say absolutely no to the chocolate milk and the, you know, performance drinks that have sugar in them. And also the caffeine I'm a little worried about, too, because that can have a a negative impact, especially on some young people's heart rate. So Mm -hmm. we avoid that one as well. However, there are some fantastic drinks out there that are electrolyte replacement, and they have no sugar in them. You can also make your own if you don't want to go, because lots of them are quite expensive. We mm-hmm. use a company called BioSteel, and I like it because, again, it has no artificial colors. It's sweetened with stevia, so most people find it palatable, and it has a bit of amino acids. It has the Himalayan sea salts, the magnesium, you know, some of those electrolytes that you need. If you don't have access to that, there's another great solution to this is, you know, grab a handful of nuts maybe with a bit of salt on it, and have that with your water. And you're going to get some electrolyte replacement from that. Or, you know, grab half of a healthy power bar and drink that with your water. And, again, you're going to get some really good nutrients in there, including the protein. You know, when the milk was being pushed, a lot of it was related to you need to take protein in immediately after you finish your weightlifting workout. And, you know, I agree with that to a certain degree, but I really don't think that you need the sugar. And there's many really healthy ways to get some protein. Again, I go to the nuts. If you like those and you can eat those, that's a great alternative. And it will also get you some of those really good electrolytes electrolytes that you need after a workout. There is such a thing as drinking too much water, isn't there? Yes, it's hydronitremic encephalopathy. That's what it would cause. And we hear about it when, you know, there's been the odd case during a hot marathon or, you know, some of the ultra endurance events where people have actually died from this. It's not as common anymore because I think the theory goes now that they've studied it enough and they've researched. That's why people actually eat food now too during a marathon so that you're not just getting tons of water and then, you know, causing this swelling on the brain as a result of 
essentially you're kind of messing up your electrolyte imbalance with too much water. Okay. Time for one last question. Mm -hmm. And that is, if you get cramps, what should you do? Cramps are a mystery. And we don't always know exactly what causes them. But Mm -hmm. absolutely slow down. If you're getting like kind of that stitch in your side, you want to slow down to a walk. I find with those ones that are, you know, just related to running, I find doing some really deep diaphragmatic breathing can help prevent those. And it can be a signal that you are dehydrated. So generally, we do know that if you're dehydrated, you are more likely to get cramps. It can also be a signal of a neuromuscular situation that is probably related to your electrolytes. So again, if you're repeatedly getting these cramps, it's a moment to say, okay, what can I do better and go back to some of these techniques that we talked about. You know, Make sure that you start hydrated because starting hydrated really helps you perform better and feel better while you do the exercise. You know, the water's free and it's really important that we make use of it and stay healthy. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come again soon? I would love to. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andrea Donsky, Shauna Lindzen, Tracy Segrati, and Dr. Stacey Irvine. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. During COVID-19, we're suspending distribution of the magazine, but Tonic's generally available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website, tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the natural treatment of sleep and stress the health risks of 5G, and cooking with herbs. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.